Good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to the one that you've been given from Dan already. And um, I'm just having a quick check of my notes. I'll give you a bit of a laugh. So two weeks ago, I was sharing in Contour. And the night before, I just went up to, we've got a, we've kind of converted one of our bedrooms into a bit of a study as well. And I just hit print. And uh, I just put it into my laptop folder. And then I didn't look at my notes again until I got up to speak. And it was at that point I realized that the colored cartridge must have run out. And so I color-coded quite a lot of that sermon. And so I was flicking through and just seeing massive waves of blank pages. I've had a check. Don't worry. It's all here today. It's all here. So, um, Are you okay to flick through to perfect? Thank you, Aidan. In life, we find that there are things that just naturally seem to come together as a pair. Uh, and so let me see if you can catch these. So if I say Tig and... Well done. Okay, you're going to get this game here. Hyde and... Morecambe and... Well done. One for the younger generation. Ant and... Okay, this one is a little bit trickier. Jam and... Donut is the right answer here, people. Donuts is the answer I was looking for here. Someone said jam and spoon. Well played. Well played. There you go. By the way, custard and donut also go well together. Uh, and if I say Aberdeen FC, what comes to your mind? It's <laughs> pretty much the right answer. I put disappointment down at the moment, so, um, but you might be a fan of another team and have different feelings. Now, a few years ago, going back to one of those examples, Anthony McPartland, to give him his full name, needed to, uh, to take time out of work, and it was strange to see Deck with other presenters on shows like I'm a Sleb and Britain's Got Talent, not that I really watch them much. Ant and Deck are, for some of my generation and a bit older, PJ and Duncan, who remembers PJ and Duncan, and uh, with a little bit of let's get ready to rumble. And uh, those two have always seemed to have come as a pair ever since they appeared on Biker Grove. Who remembers Biker Grove? Biker, Biker, Biker Grove. In the early 90s, if you're younger than me and you don't know what Biker Grove is, don't worry, you weren't really missing out on that much. So. But wherever you saw Ant, you saw Deck. In the Christian life, there are two things that need to always go together, and without them, it should feel strange to us. These two things are truth and love. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speak truth, speak the truth in love. We need to stand firmly in the truth that is found in God's word, not wavering from what we've been taught about who God is and who we have been created to be. We also need to remember the words of Christ that we are to love others as we love ourselves. We're not simply just to love those who are our friends, who are our family, and those who it is easy to agree with. But we're to love everyone, and that includes those that we may disagree with as well. As we continue this week to look at this topic of transgender, and it's one that can easily rile, it can offend, and it can hurt, we must remember to always stand in truth and love. We also remember that we're not simply talking about an issue, but we're talking about people. People like me, like you, who have struggles, who have anxieties, who have desires for life, and all of us have been made in the image of God. 
Topics like this can so easily be polarizing and conversations and debates could easily become about winning a debate. But we are about winning souls for Christ, not winning arguments. Last week at Ascent, we jumped into our life series. So I think most of you know this by now, but typically in Ascend, we'll work through a book of the Bible. Uh, And so we're working through the book of Acts at the moment. We're almost finished. Um, But about eight times a year, we jump into another series, which we've just entitled Life. And during that time, we speak about things such as relationships, sanctity of life, bullying, obeying your parents. You can thank me later, parents. What's on your screen? The environment, justice, and sexuality. And it was sexuality that we were looking at on Sunday evening just last week. On those weeks, we often give the youth a chance to ask anonymous questions. And believe me, they have got some very, very good questions. They're good because they're questions that they face day in, day out. Either because they are wrestling with questions themselves, their friends at school are, or as they scroll through social media, is what they see day in, day out. Young people especially live under an expectation that they will understand, consider, and respond to so many different issues that probably I never even thought about when I was at their age. And then they have a pressure to respond in a certain way. So, they've got some good questions. And I thought I'd share just one of the questions that uh, one of them asked uh, last week. I don't know who asked this question, but I thought it was a a good one to ask. The question is, so this came from one of our youth. How do I share Jesus with my friend who is non-binary? I'll come into some definitions a little bit later on. I'll get there. I think that question that has been asked is one of the reasons that we are doing this series Because this is the world that we live in, and it's not just young people, all of us. And we need to know, how do we share the gospel? How do we share the good news of Jesus Christ? Last Sunday morning, as we started this series, I checked the BBC front page just to see what articles were on there. And of the ones that were just on the front page, three of them had to do with the topic of transgender. We cannot ignore these realities but we must look as best as possible to understand them. If we want to be able to build bridges to share the gospel with everyone in this world, we need to show that we do, that we do genuinely care. We show we care by how we look for understanding, how we listen, and how we respond with truth and love. If you are here today and you are wrestling with questions of gender in your own life, I want you to know these things, that you are loved, that you are valued, and you are wanted. Now, last week, Martin shared those three words, but we did not know that we were going to say that. And so I started writing the sermon about 10 days ago, uh, and so I managed to get some of the introduction and a little bit of the meeting in it there. And so, but I really do, that is our heart. That is our heart for each and every single person in this room and anyone who's watching online. You are loved you are valued, and you are wanted. And we want to look, to look to better understand what people are experiencing and consider what the truth of what, of what God's word says to us all. That's why we are doing this mini-series. This morning, we'll look at a few definitions of what transgender can mean. We'll look at some trends that we're seeing. 
where we find our true identity, and how even in what can feel like a difficult conversation to engage with, we can have confidence in Christ. So this sermon follows on from what Martin shared last week, and we have another sermon next week on this as well. So as I'm sharing, maybe you're just jumping into the series, and you're just like, oh, Scott's missing this, he's missing that, missing that. I probably am. There's not, you can't say everything in one week. So that's why we're taking time over three weeks. That's why we're doing the discussion book together. And even then, we're probably scratching the surface. If you've not managed to hear what Martin shared last week, please do go to our YouTube channel. I thought he did an absolutely fantastic job of sharing with us. So please just go to our YouTube channel and you can find it there. Yeah, it's worked. So what does it mean to be transgender? From here, I'm probably going to quote quite a bit from Preston Sprinkle, the writer of the book Embodied, because that's where a lot of my learning has come from. In his book, he continually states, once you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. There are no neat and tidy definitions that describe every person who will use this term, so the term transgender is really an umbrella term. It will generally be used by someone who experiences incongruence between their sexed body and their internal sense of self. The book goes into really good detail on this, so chapter two, I think, speaks a lot about this, but I'm just going to skim over the surface here. So some people who identify as transgender may have had surgery to sexed organs. They may be on puberty blockers or some other type of hormonal therapy. Others may choose not to go down this route at all, but maybe they might just dress as the opposite of their biological sex. For some, but not all, it may mean a change of name. Some others may simply use it because they don't resonate with the gender stereotype of the day. Gender stereotypes change from generation to generation and from culture to culture, and so depending on how tightly these stereotypes are held, they may, they may and I say may, lead to someone calling themselves transgender. For example, about 100 years ago, the color pink was thought of as a male color, but that has since changed and may even be changing back. I don't really know. In different countries and cultures around the world, there are different stereotypes, even with regards to clothing and activities. When meeting someone who identifies as transgender, don't make assumptions on what that means, but take time to listen to them, get to know them, and understand what that means for them. Another term that you may have heard, and in fact, it was the question that one of our youth asked last week, the term is non-binary or gender fluid. This is where someone doesn't identify their gender as being strictly male or female. Again, you could probably ask 30 people um, what this means for them, and for 30 people, they may give you a different response. Again, once you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Take time to listen. In the past couple of decades, we've seen a large increase in what is called non-gender dysphoric trans. And sorry, I'm throwing out quite a few definitions here. And so the book does a way better job of explaining them. So if you want to know more, please do read the book. So non-gender dysphoric trans, but I'll do the opposite. So gender dysphoria is something that is diagnosable, and that can range from mild to severe. 
Press in his book speaks of people who are sadly unable to leave their homes due to stress, due to anxiety, and this manifesting itself often in physical symptoms as well. Non-gender dysphoric trans is based on self-identification. And some people, they won't exhibit the symptoms of someone with diagnosable dysphoria. There's no need to talk to anyone about this. There's no need for a diagnosis. No requirement to speak with a professional about what else might be going on in your life. But rather, the decision is solely down to the person and how they feel. Much of this is what we see going through the Scottish Parliament. This is very much broadly accepted, and we see legislation that is backing up that exception. Across the world, don't worry, I'm almost there with the definitions. Across the world, we're seeing a rise in something known as ROGD, which stands for Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria. And that's particularly among young people. With ROGD, a belief in and public declaration that they are transgender can often, it seems like it comes completely out of the blue to parents. For families and friends, it can seem like a complete shock if there haven't been ongoing conversations. In Preston's book, he speaks of between 2016 and 2019, there was a 33% increase in the numbers who identified with ROGD. If you go back to 2010 to 2019, that increases 5,000%. And I think it's probably fair to suggest that between 2019 and 2022, that 33%, I think we probably have stayed the same, if not maybe increased. He also quotes studies that show females are far, uh, sorry, are five times more likely to transition than males. And as I said earlier, the word transition can mean a whole host of different things. In our fellowship, we have professionals, doctors, nurses, and teachers who will spend time with people who identify as transgender. And we need to pray for them that they are able to stand in truth and love. One of the articles that I read last uh, Sunday um, spoke of a review being done by the UK Health Secretary, Sajid Javid. I'm not too sure if I pronounced his name correctly, but there we go. And there he states, services, this is related to transgender, were too affirmative and narrow and bordering on ideological The article also speaks of how medical professionals are under pressure to adopt an unquestioning, affirmative approach, overshadowing other issues such as poor mental health. That pressure that he speaks of can often mean that people aren't receiving the help that they really need. A study in the U.S. showed that only 28% of doctors asked any questions about any other underlying illnesses when speaking to someone about gender. Then Bodybook shares stories of how young people in the States can very quickly receive hormone medication and children as young as 15 years old are able to have surgery without their parents' knowledge. The bar seems to be very low for decisions that have a long-term impact and where we're not aware yet of all the side effects. What we are also seeing is a steadily increasing number of people who are detransitioning, where people have identified as the opposite gender and found that that hasn't been the answer to their struggles and have decided to transition back. Again, that looks different to each person depending on the choices they've made to that point. These stories, as every single story is, is worth listening to 
so that we can try to better understand struggles, understand what led them to make certain decisions, and we show we care by how we listen. A key aspect of this conversation, I believe, is identity. And it's something that I'd just like to thank the band for leading us in worship, and there's a lot of things that we've been singing off here. Identity is all about who you are. We all label ourselves and describe ourselves in different ways. Now, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, I don't understand why you wouldn't follow me on Twitter. I rarely post anything, and when I do, it's normally about sports, normally responding to Dan about his woes with Man United or Matthew's woes with Arsenal. Sometimes I do retweet retweet things from like other theologians who are much brighter than I am. But I thought I would share what my bio says in Twitter, because you do learn something about who I am in there. So this is what it says. Follower of Jesus, husband, dad, watcher of any sport you can possibly think on except darts, major fan of barbecue ribs, pretty much sums me up. I think that is a pretty good description, actually. I'll give you a little bit of a laugh. So I wrote that about six or seven years ago. And the day after I wrote that, I was followed by UK darts. (laughs) That seems to be an algorithm that has really gone wrong there. (laughs) Never mind. Within that statement, you do find out a lot about me. You find out a lot about my identity. We are all looking for belonging. We're looking for those people, groups, activities, and labels to satisfy our desire to be wanted, valued, loved. And in those spaces, we find purpose. We find our true identity. Or we will find our true identity in Christ. For some people, this could be found in their career a sports team you support, family, clubs we're a part of, and for some in society, it might be being part of the LGBTQ plus community. This question of identity is, is one that I ended up looking into quite a lot last year. So many of you will know, in September time, I was given some time off work. And so I effectively was struggling with burnout. And yeah, I was struggling with a lot of things in life. And so from, for about three months at the end of last year, uh, I went and received a bit of counseling. And so I went along to an organization called ASIS, uh, and there a guy called Brandon, he spent uh, 10 sessions with me. So from a Tuesday afternoon from 3.30 to 4.30, I went and spent some time with him each week. And those times were incredibly useful. And he just spent some time just asking some questions. And <laughs> effectively, I got a lot of time just to like figure out or just speak out a lot of theology of what I believed in things. And so, but one of the questions he asked me quite early on in the sessions was, who are you? Who are you? And I think I re- probably surprised him, if I did surprise him, with how quickly I responded with my answer. I said, I know that one. I'm Scott in Christ. It was something that I felt very comfortable saying, and it was something that I just said, no, that is who I am. It's not something that I feel I need to wrestle with in a way that I don't know about it. It is something that we continually wrestle with because we want to know more of what that means. I am Scott in Christ. And I did actually ask him at the end of the session, you know, what what did you make of that? And he said, you know, he was surprised. And for most people, they don't have such a definitive answer. It's one that they spend so much time looking at. Friends, the world is looking for that rock-solid certainty in who they are. People are searching. People are turning to a whole host of different people 
activities and ideologies to find identity, to find that meaning, purpose, and life. Friends, we have the answer. The answer that is deep, that is true, that is overwhelmingly amazing and is eternal. We have the answer of you are in Christ. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to look at a bit of what that means. So I've got 11 different points that are going to uh, pop up on the screen. And so you should see them behind me here. So this is some of what it means to be in Christ. First of all, you were created by God. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Each and every single one of us have an author. Someone with infinite power, wisdom, and love miraculously created you. He decided that you should walk this earth. You are not an accident, but were known before you were born. Known before your parents were born. Known since time, since before time began. Each and every single one of us in this room, anyone watching online, you are all created by an almighty, powerful God who does not make mistakes. He is perfect in all that he does. Second of all, you were created in the image of God. Genesis 5 says, when God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female and he blessed them and called them human. We're not designed in some random way, but by an amazing gift of God, of God Almighty, we were formed in his image. You were created by God and you were created in his image. Next, you are known by God. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You are known by God today. If you feel lonely, if you feel isolated, if you feel lost, if you feel like no one understands you, Know that we have a God in heaven who knows you like no other. He knows all your thoughts. He knows all your feelings. He knows what brings you joy, what brings you sadness, your doubts, your worries. And he meets you in that place. You are all, we are all perfectly known by him. So you're created by God. You were created in his image. You were known by him and you are loved by God. John 15, we read, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're not only known, but loved perfectly, despite our sinfulness. You're loved so much that even when each of us was far from God, when we were in rebellion, He died for us. The love of Christ was displayed as he was unfairly tried, as he was brutally scourged, 
And as he went through that excruciating pain of the cross, all the way to giving his life, know that you are loved. You're loved by him and who can love you in a way that no one else can. Next, you are saved by God. Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. You, if you know Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you are a saved person. You are a rescued person. Someone that Jesus has redeemed. His love displayed on the cross had incredible purpose. The saving of your soul, the saving of my soul, the saving of all who trust in him. The gift of new life in him, the gift of having sin removed from you and transferred to Christ who has defeated sin. You, if you trust in him, are a saved person. Next of all, you are a friend of God. There was a song that was done about 15 years ago, and the chorus went something like, I am a friend of God, whoa, I am a friend of God, whoa. I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm not going to bless you with that. And I have to admit, when I, I, I didn't automatically love that song. I was like, oh man, do you know what? It's missing so much. It should be saying this, it should be that, it should be saying that. But actually, I think it was just a simple song that was just reminding, you are a friend of God, of God who has created the heavens and the earth who's created the deepest valleys, the highest mountains, that has created each and every single one of us, that all-powerful God calls you his friend. And I think that really is an awesome reality. Next one, and we were singing about this not so long ago. You are a child of God. Romans 8, 16, 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, if you, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. God welcomes you into his family. And he calls us his children. And we get to cry and call him Abba, Father. And as we are part of his family, we are also called co-heirs with Christ. He is a father who gives good gifts. He is a father who never leaves our side, but instead dwells with us 24-7 by his Holy Spirit. He is a father who disciplines his children, knowing what is good for them. He is a father who will welcome us into eternity one day, where he has made a place for us. Know that you are a child of God today. Next of all, this was one I actually added in a little bit later on, but I think it's one that's extremely important. You are a person of rest. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, and Martin actually shared a bit on this when he spoke on kindness as we were going through the fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Here it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You're not someone who needs to be heavy laden with the anxieties and concerns of this world, which can so easily entangle 
It can drag us down and leave us feeling completely helpless. Instead, we are people of rest. We are people who know and experience the kindness and the gentleness of God. Next one. You are part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Being a part of God's family means you are a part of his church. It's not something that you attend. Church is not some, a building that you go to, but church is something that you are. It's coming together like this, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship God, to point one another to Christ, to worship him as we raise our voices together. It's in church where we are able to use many of the gifts that God has given us. He gives us gifts for the upbuilding of the church. And here we are able to use and find purpose. You are part of the body of Christ. And as a quick aside, if you, aren't, if you don't feel you are a part of a church, dive in. One of the things that Harley said, one of the last things he said to the community in Kintour was lean in. Lean in time and time again. Lean into the body of Christ. Lean into what it means to be his church. And there's two more to go here. You belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Ultimately, we are his. And we live our lives in response to Jesus' love for us. He paid a lot for each and every single one of us in this room and for the entire world. He gave of his life. For some, hearing that you belong to someone might not like that. But for me, I find that extremely freeing. That I belong to the creator of the universe. I belong to someone, and just go back through that list, who created me, created me in his image, who loves me, who died for me, who saved me. I belong to him, the one who is almighty, all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is ever-present, the one who has given me breath in my lungs. I belong to him, and he knows what is good for me. And the last one, you and I were made to worship. Isaiah 43, 21 says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. I am a worshiper of Jesus. In my Twitter bio, I was extremely purposeful in saying, first thing first, I'm a follower of Jesus. If anyone wants to ask me who I am, these maybe aren't the words that always come out of my mouth first, but I desperately want them to be. I am a follower of Christ. And he says who I am. In all of this, we find the meaning to our lives. Jackie Hill Perry, um, she, is, uh, she wrote a, a fantastic book. Uh, I mentioned this at the forum a month or so back. It's called uh, Gay Girl, Good God. Uh, and she's someone who was in a lesbian relationship for a number of years. And then... Christ saved her. And she speaks so much in her book about identity. 
And so I recommend, please, you know, if you're, if you're keen on reading and if you want to know more of what it means to, for your identity to be in Christ, do get a copy of that book. But um, I can't remember when I saw this. I saw this the last couple of weeks. She says, my being an image bearer is my primary identity. All things were made through and for Christ. Your identity is not how you feel. If that's the case, then all of our temptations will define us. Our identity isn't found in looking inward to our, at least I'll speak for myself, corruptible wants and desires and feelings, but our identity is found by looking upwards to Christ. And he says who I am. He who is steadfast, who is faithful, who is good, who is kind, who is loving, who is for us, who knows what is good for us. So my question for every one of us in this room is what, or more importantly, who defines you? And how do we find this identity? It's in the surrendering of ourselves wholly to God. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, so he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In surrendering, we're saying as the prophet Isaiah did, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are, so, sorry, we are all the work of your hand. To find ourselves, to find our purpose, our value, our fulfillment, we entrust ourselves wholly to God. And he, as Dan read for us at the start of our time together, he makes us a new creation. He gives us abundant life in the spirit. He gives us, as we saw, a rich new identity. He molds us. He refines us. He transforms us bit by bit to become more like Jesus. Friends, people are searching for identity. They're searching for that welcome, for that purpose, for that fulfillment. And I think much of the trans conversation surrounds that. Live out your identity in Christ. Remind yourself of your true identity. Talk about it with family, with friends. Tell them of the hope we have in Jesus that is for today and forevermore. The answer we have is rock solid, unchanging, fulfilling. It is purposeful, it's life-giving, and it is eternal. Don't hide that light. Let it shine. About 15 years ago, uh, Chris Tomlin wrote a song called Made to Worship. And in the chorus, it says this, You and I were made to worship. You and I are called to love. You and I are forgiven and free. When you and I embrace surrender, when you and I choose to believe, then you and I will see who we are meant to be. I'm beginning to come to a close, don't worry. But as I do that, I want to mention a few things to consider how we can engage with this conversation surrounding transgender with confidence. Firstly, our message is one of hope and life. I double-checked this, and I'm going to quote Matthew Milne here because I think he said this one first. 
And so one young adult's evening, I can't remember what we were chatting about, but he said, Christians are so often known for what we're against rather than what we are for. In a world that is searching for identity, friends, we have the answer. It is found in Christ. We are for all people finding that true, lasting identity. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our message is of hope, it's of life, it's of identity in Christ. So do take time to understand that yourself. Maybe you need to go and speak it out somewhere. Wrestle it through. We are for people finding hope, finding life, finding their true identity. Secondly, we've been told to expect opposition, but remember, we stand in all things for the glory of Christ. There are some who will and who do reject the gospel. Some who will say that we're crazy, who think the way that we live our sacrificial lives for him, they'll think is pointless. Now, opposition can sometimes be completely silent and sometimes not so silent. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, it says, Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I do think in this corner of the world that We've been sheltered from a lot of persecution for many years, but we can see in how different our message is to the world's that there's some persecution that is going to come. What we are looking at in these few weeks, not everyone is going to agree with. Now, some people will be silent in that, and some people won't be. Remember, we stand in truth and in love. But in any suffering, and we suffer together, that's a huge part of that passage. Together, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we stand. We stand for the truth of God's word. And we stand for his glory. All we do is for the glory of Jesus. Everything we do is for him. We do it for his sake, for our Lord and for our King. Thirdly, we stand in the Lord's strength. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read of tools, the protection, the weapons that God has given us for each and every single day of our lives. And it is something, it's an amazing passage that. And I do wonder how often each day do we, do we deliberately think on these things that we've been given. Maybe we need to do that more. In that passage, it speaks of truth, of righteousness, of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God in prayer. In these, we're reminded that we stand in his strength, not our own. So I think, yeah, I think it's on the screen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So as we share this message of hope, of the gospel, of how each of us can experience being in Christ and find our identity in him, know that you don't stand in your own strength, but it's in his And he is the one, because of the strength that he gives all of us, that we can speak that truth in love. Lastly, Jesus promises that he is always with us. Matthew 28, 20 finishes, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
in difficult moments when we stand for truth in love, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't say, you're on your own in this one, mate. He is with us at all times. He's with us by his spirit, guiding, leading, prompting, comforting, always. Be utterly confident that as we engage with this conversation that Jesus is with us. This conversation regarding transgender, it can feel like, and I think just with a check I did on the BBC website and seeing so many stories there, it feels like it is surrounding us. It feels like it's all around us. It can feel complicated. It can feel daunting. And maybe you're not sure how to engage well with it. Know and have confidence in this that he is with you by his spirit. Know that we stand in the strength of his might. Know that we have a message of life and hope. And with that fact, move us to love, compassion, and to stand in truth. This evening, we're going to start our book discussion on Embodied. So we'll look at chapters one and two together, and we'll continue to learn more about this, what the Word of God says, and how we can shine the light of Jesus. As I said right at the start, what we're doing in this mini three-sermon series really is scratching the surface. And my encouragement to all of us is that we need to continue to learn. My closing words are to anyone here that might be questioning their gender. And I want you to hear the three words that I said at the start again. Know that you are valued, that you are wanted, and that you are loved. No more than that, Jesus loves you. And in him, you and all of us can find fullness of life, purpose, and our identity in him. Myself and Martin are here for anyone on anything that you would like to talk about. Please just get in contact with us. And we would love to spend some time with you and just to listen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can know who we are because you tell us. Thank you that it's something that we don't need to have a huge question about when we're asked, who are we? Because God, you've made it clear. In your goodness, you have called us your own. And so we thank you, God. And Lord, in this world, would we shine bright with that identity? Would we not hide it? Would we not hide it in fear of what others may think of us? But would you remind us time and time again that the message that we have is one of abundant life in Christ? So would you fill us with love for this world? Fill us with compassion for this world? Or would we stand truly in truth, in love? And would we rely on your spirit to help us in that? Lord, I thank you that we can spend time as a church family looking at these things. And as we continue to do so in the weeks to come, we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your discernment. And we ask for more of your compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.